welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, June 30th, the start of the holiday weekend. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. I do have kind of a theme. Today is trucking technology and efficiency, but we're going to make it a Friday free-for-all as well. So schedule today, first hour here on the app live, and then we will jump on over to Twitter. If you're listening on the app, you can just keep listening. But you might want to consider joining us on the Twitter space itself today. I'm making a special offer. Oh, and uh, Joel will not be able to make it with us today. Uh, I believe Henry will probably be joining me on spaces. And the beauty of spaces, anybody else who wants to join me and jump in and as a speaker can. But my offer for today, let me say this first. What is the real reason why we focus on efficiency? Because that's today's show, Trucking Technology and Efficiency. The real reason we focus on efficiency is not just to get better fuel economy. If we did, we might even use different strategies than what we're doing. We're really focusing on profit. The more efficient we operate, the more profit we can generate. But many times, almost most times, we may have to invest money to be more efficient. So we want to make sure there's a return on that investment. There are things we could do that would improve fuel economy but would not improve profit. So the real goal to efficiency is profit. So that's today's theme, profit. That's the point of of what we do in business. That is the ultimate point to what we do in profit is in in business is to generate a profit. And it seems to me like the more profit we generate, the better. The first thing we have to do is measure that. That's when what we talk about having your numbers, doing your accounting. That's what we're talking about is can you, do you know your profit? Can you measure your profit? And profit is the money left over after you pay all the expenses of the business. It's left over and you get to use it personally. So my offer for today And this offer only applies in the Twitter space. There's a reason for that. I've made these same kinds of offers here on the show. I've done this many times. Haven't done it in a while. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Here's my offer. The first person in the Twitter space who comes on live and admits they don't have any numbers and and they don't have any plan. And when I talk about a plan, I mean getting through the freight recession we're in. Everybody should look at this. Everybody should put their numbers together, realistically look at what the rates are, and then could you make it if these rates last for 18 to 24 months longer? It's, it's, It's a math problem. It really is. We can predict If we put your numbers together and we look at the rates, we can predict whether or not you're going to be able to make it. 
And we can also create a plan so that you will make it. So my offer today, the first person that admits they either don't have any numbers or they don't have a plan or they don't know what to do, I will personally create the business report for you using our software. Now, you're going to send me receipts and settlements, and I don't care if they're all wadded up and stuffed in a bag. I'm going to take that data, your settlements, your receipts, whatever you've got, and I'm going to create a business report for you. It's going to show you revenue per mile, cost per mile, expenses as a percentage of revenue, profit. It's going to show everything we need to know to figure out if your business in its current state can survive an extended freight recession. And if not, then I'll start to help you personally. And this this could go on for months. I'll stay involved as long as you're willing to work on this. And I'll help you with a plan. That's a, it's a pretty damn good offer. If I were to charge people for this service, and I used to, if I were to charge people for this service, it's pretty expensive. It's time consuming. If I have to do this, I, I've got to sit down and take my time and put in your numbers and create a plan. It would be thousands of dollars. Somebody's going to get this free today. Well, maybe somebody is. I guess if nobody steps up, maybe I, uh, I'll get off easy. All right. Uh, what else do I have today? That's really, I mean, I could talk about numbers and the importance of having numbers, the power of having numbers. Um, I posted a, an example of a business report, so we could talk about that. Uh, all right. Looks like... Uh, Looks like we've got Henry in here this morning. Henry, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Oh, well, just what you're saying, efficiency, and and I've been thinking about it for weeks now, and efficiency and career path. Okay. And the, and the reason I say that because of everything getting frozen, the longer, heavier combination vehicles, that's just a big subject to me that talk about being green and tuning and all these other techniques. And pretty much they've ruled out the trailer hitch. Put two trailers behind one truck. You don't have to platoon. The other trailer will follow you. Yeah. You know, it, um, I don't know why the the trucking industry has resisted so much. It, what I don't I really don't understand that. It isn't the trucking industry; it's the railroads, and that's been going on since nineteen ninety one. Yeah, when that was I, frozen. Yeah, I, I I know that that's a big part of it when it comes to changing laws. But it seems to me like, from the driver's point of view, I get a lot of pushback on this. They don't want bigger, heavier trucks. Well, and, and they need to do it as a career path. I mean, to me, one of the problems with the industry is when you get your class A license, you can do anything day one. Yeah, I know. You know, uh, that's, probably, yeah. the, probably the only limiting factor is the insurance companies. Right. Or, or maybe but, just some companies rules and regulations, but you're right. For the most part, there, what, there are no laws or regulations that would stop you from doing almost anything in trucking. 
Because especially if you go to word safety and everything, and Joel was talking quite a bit about safety last week. I hate he can't join us this week. It's always fun. But, like, I think the New York Thruway, I think it's twin 48s. But from what I gather, you have to have six years of clean license to be qualified for it. Uh, that might be. In my I, earlier research from, from yeah. a number of years ago. So that, that gears it towards safety, too. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that is correct. And, you know, that, that, that puts a nod towards the safety aspect as well. And then those drivers are worth more than your rank-and-file driver because you attained a goal. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you're right. We have no career path. We don't. We don't really, in this industry, we really do not put much value on experience. And, and it's very green, you know, with, with all this, you know, save the planet stuff, which is great. But I'm like, are we really serious about saving the planet when you look at what we're doing? No. Probably not. No, we're not serious you know, about it at all. Most, most cars have nearly, most cars have nearly 300 horsepower. We're running around with a single trailer on interstates that could easily support winds. We're, we're, we're not yeah. serious about it. No, we're, we're really not. Um, I, because the agenda, the green agenda really isn't about saving the planet. It's about controlling people. Uh, so if they really wanted to save the planet, if we really thought that engine exhaust was harming the planet. And I, I won't argue whether it does or not. I, I think it does. I mean, it's not natural, but it's, it's we're, we're not going, going to stop. So the, the biggest impact we could make on the climate immediately would be a big industry push for the things we talk about on the show. Stuff that would work instantly. Absolutely. If we have a driver right now listening to the show and he's driving down the road at 75 miles an hour because that's just what he's always done. That's what he's, and we're talking an owner operator now. That's kind of his always been his mindset because that's the mindset in this industry. More miles, more miles, more miles. I got to drive faster. If he's listening and he slows down, we immediately made an improvement. That's all it takes. But yet we hardly ever talk about that kind of stuff. You and I, we, that's all we ever talk about. But as an industry, it, it's shocking to me how little we focus on efficiency. Well, yeah, and you get the naysayers when you start talking about the twin trailers. and all. Well, it's not going to pay twice as much. Of, of course, course it's not. not. It doesn't right. cost twice as much. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it's... It, and, you know, if you look at, I've always kind of used the airline industry as an example. Um, I, I have to change what I say, though. It used to be that brand new commercial pilots, and these are the guys that get the tiny little puddle jumpers first. This is kind of what we're talking about with equipment and a career path. And it wasn't that long ago, those guys were getting paid less than $30,000 a year. It was like $26,000 was the average first year for a commercial pilot. Um, but the difference is 
they can work their way up through equipment to bigger and bigger planes and they get paid more and more. And when you become a jumbo pilot, you're doing pretty damn well on the pay scale. Um, now, well, from what I understand, the same way I, with ships. Yeah, you're right. Everything on the water is that and trains and and almost every other form of transportation has a pretty clear career path. And we don't. We don't. <laughs> nope, we don't. You're right. We don't. Let's uh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's get started in Nebraska today. Paul, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was just going to, I got my first oil sample back as a baseline, and I just wanted to kind of go over it with you since it's my first one. Sure. Let's take a look at it. So let's set this up. We've got a Volvo. I'm going to assume it's a Volvo engine because I'm not seeing. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. What year? Yes, sir. Uh, 2020. TC? None. Uh, VGT. VGT. Okay. Uh, and we had 40,000 miles on the oil when you took the sample and 319,000 miles on the engine, right? Correct. Okay. Are you using the catalyst? Yes, that's why I wasn't worried about that. I've listened enough that I ignored that. <laughs> yeah, if you weren't using the catalyst, we would be concerned about the iron. Um, because you are using the catalyst, we're not concerned. And there is another clue here. I, I, I could have predicted that you were using it because iron is what we would consider high, but all the other wear metals are really low. So it, it, we know there isn't some, you know, dirt or foreign substance in the oil causing wear metals because they would all wear then. And it's not. It, it's just iron. So uh, that's good. Your silicon is under 10. We're fine there. Um, you can ignore that yellow under boron. It means absolutely nothing. Um, I was wondering on that one. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Just completely ignore it like it doesn't exist. Fuel dilution at 1.9, which is virtually zero. Um, soot at 0.5, which is showing we have a nice clean burn. Um, the base is low. That's not really that big of an issue. Um, we can just add base. Now, sometimes we look at base being depleted too fast and think that's a combustion problem. But I don't think it is. You're, there's no fuel dilution. Your soot's low. So I just think it's one of these trucks that may use base uh, a little faster. But when we extend our drains and they keep putting less and less base in the, these oils because the newer engine shouldn't need as much. And I think we're still trying to tweak that. So if you plan on continuing to run this oil, and I would highly recommend you do because it's very serviceable oil, um, I would get the Hotshot Secret um, base additive and just put some base in this. Yeah, I, I jumped to the gun and I already went ahead and changed it. Oh, I would. It was my first sample and I wanted a baseline and everything. Yeah, okay. Um, you, you probably could have sold that oil as new. It's so clean. 
<laughs> I had a feeling, and then I get my coworkers going, "You went, you went forty thousand? Oh yeah, forty thousand is nothing on this truck. I can tell you right now, based on that sample, this uh, truck will go seventy-five or eighty with no problem." Okay, so yeah, I, I already planned on extending it even more on this next one. I just it was my first one. I wanted to. I don't know. I guess be safer this. I don't know. I, I, yeah, look, I, I, you know, the the first truck that I ever put a bypass filter on, it was a 1995 Ford Aeromax with the uh, did the the Ford did not have the 11 liter. That was the first time I had to buy a 12 liter, the 127. Um, and I was determined I was not going to change the oil till the sample told me. But this is my first experience with this. And this is back when we were changing oil at 10,000 miles for most trucks. People that were extending out to 15 were kind of considered radical. And I went 250,000 miles before I did my first sample or my first change. I was sampling that whole time. Um, and I didn't need to. I just kind of freaked out. I, it, you know, it would been in almost two years yeah. and it's 250,000 miles. And I thought, well, maybe I should just change it now. The next time the oil got changed on that truck was an accident. We were at about 200,000 miles on the next round and it was in the shop. I remember hearing that story. They had a new mechanic and, you know, my shop knew what my service was supposed to be. They knew what to change and what not to change. Somebody didn't tell the new guy and he changed the oil. And, you know, what are you going to do? It's already changed. But, yeah, people were just losing their mind over that back then because this is 1995. Um, that truck went to 1.3 million miles and I traded it in. Never had a single engine problem. Kevin? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember back then there was still people that were rowing Bearings oh, in an engine at two fifty is a matter. As a, as I, a, a, and 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 I look at my truck that I'm driving now. I'm at two hundred thousand. At two hundred fifty thousand, I'm going to be at my third, just factory recommended oil change. We're not even <laughs> I know. extending anything. That's right. what it is. Yeah, yeah. That that there, there is nothing weird anymore about fifty, sixty, seventy thousand mile oil changes without an aftermarket filter because the OEMs are now putting bypass filtration on these engines. So all of those people back in 1995 and every year after that, that said, that's bullshit. If it worked, the OEMs would just put it on the truck. I, there is some truth to that. It just took them about two decades to get around to it. Uh, I do have a question. Joel's not here for the Volvo side. I know it calls as long as it has the VDF 4.5, I can use it. I have been using T5 10W30. Uh, if I decided to go up to that T6, I think I saw a 5W40. Does yes. that, what differences does it make? So I don't think it actually makes any sense to move from a 530 blend to, or a 1030 blend to a 540 full synthetic. And here's why. We would go to the full synthetic to, to increase fuel economy by reducing some drag in that oil on, on all the parts in the engine. But 
You're going from a blend to a full synthetic, which is a step up. You're going from a 30 weight to a 40 weight, which is a step down. So it's probably just going to yeah, cancel they, each other out. The, the gains will be offset by the loss and going to the 40 weight. And I wouldn't do it because these engines really are optimized for 30 weight oil. So you would, if you wanted to go to a full synthetic, you would want to find a 30 weight full synthetic. Okay. All that would help them with well, Kevin okay. is cold, cold weather startability with the five. That's all yeah. it would do. Right, right. And and it's the the cold weather startability Minor. on a 1030 synthetic blend is, you know, at 20 below, you can't notice any real drag from the oil. No. Does that so make sense, at, Paul? Uh, I'm looking into the... Uh, I'm looking into the OPS system, and if I were to grab that, I I think I heard it on here multiple times. You sample at twenty five thousand and only change the OPS filter, right? Correct. And then at the next interval is when you do the engine filters and that. Yep, exactly. And then change the oil when the okay. sample tells us. I I never have a schedule for when I change the oil. I have a schedule for when I sample and when I change each filter but the oil is always changed based on the condition of the sample. Okay, because uh, that, that is pretty much the last thing I'm wanting to look into other than an electric APU. I got my flow below, I got my air dog, I got my fleet air filter. Nice. And that's just what's next on my list. There you go. Good stuff. All right, good sample. I'm glad you're on a sample program. Let's go to Alabama. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning. What's on your mind oh, today? I hey, completely hey, agree with... I, I sh probably should have warned yep. you or asked you first, but I know you would be okay with it. I posted your numbers oh, on Twitter today. No, yeah. Yeah, I told you in the past, and I've told Aaron, you know, I put my stuff out there. You guys are more than welcome to use it as examples for anything. It's yeah, and and by the no way, problem with me at all. Congratulations, you're having a hell of a 23. Yep, and that's not uh, six months, by the way. That's only five. I, you know, I after I posted it, I realized <laughs> that that it couldn't have been six because we're not done with June yet. Yeah, yeah you, got, you got to wait till either Sunday or Monday when I get home and do work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I know your numbers and I know your operation. And I have to say, when I went in there to pull the numbers, I was surprised. I, I did not expect them to still be that strong. And I do, I think I need to start editing something because I've been, I started doing something this year. I'm becoming one of these illegal double brokering guys. Uh, <laughs> okay. There's only one load in the first five months where somebody else took my trailer and did my round oh, under really? his own authority. Okay. So, and I don't have broker authority, so, you know, it's illegal. But it's, it is what it is for now. I'm going to figure something out. It, right. Um, but that's, you know, for you, when you look at my payroll, I'm putting what I pay them as payroll. I, I, I think I need to just get those numbers out of there because it's screwing up my uh, my gross revenue. Right, right. I, I looked at that when I saw a number under wages, and I know how you do yours. I, I thought, I wonder what's going on there. That seems a little odd. Now it makes sense. 
But, yeah, I, Henry and I think a lot alike, I believe, and, and for probably a very, very long time before meeting each other. I've always thought about pulling double 53-footers down the road just to see how long we get away with it. <laughs> not not probably very long. <laughs> well, this was years ago, and, you know, thought about running at night in the dark and running with another guy anytime we, you know, when scales are closed and the cops in the middle, he comes up alongside of me so they can't see that it's one truck or, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'd never... Well, they don't have a trailer set up for it, but uh, I, I guess instead of a turnpike, okay. instead of a converter dolly, how about if you got a second truck that didn't have an engine or anything in it and just put a tow bar to the other trailer? <laughs> It'd look like two trucks going down the road. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and half the trucks on the road are tailgating that close anyway, so it really wouldn't look. There, there you go. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, and I I completely agree too that this shouldn't be a wide open thing. It's you got to have requirements in order to get the license to do it, and you know it's a like you said a career path. You start out doing one thing, and after time and safety and experience, you can move up to to something bigger. And I, you know, it, can't see any reason why we shouldn't do it. The other thing we've talked about a little bit and I think could also create a, a little bit more of a career path is truckload carriers figuring out how to create more either dedicated freight or lanes that get drivers home pretty regular. And that should also be reserved for the better drivers with better records and longer history. And, and every time I mention, you know, truckload over-the-road freight, you know, using relays and that kind of stuff. Ah, oh, it's too complicated. Oh, we can't do that. This load does I, I know it doesn't work on every load. It, it, this black and white thinking makes me crazy. Every time you come up with an idea, oh, yeah. all people want to do is go, but it doesn't work in my operation. That will never. Okay, then don't do it in your operation. My God, if I can only use ideas or talk about ideas that work in everybody's operation, I'd turn off my show right now and never go on the air again. Oh. Because it, you, it, that's uh, not how this works. There wouldn't be much to talk about. There'd be nothing to talk about. Now, maybe we could come on every day nope. and say, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, because that's all that works in every operation. And, and honestly, we, that isn't even that's true. There are, there are operations where the revenue side doesn't make sense to slow down. So, yeah, yep, you're right. That we, might make sense for fuel economy, but not necessarily not, profit. Not necessarily profit, right. So, yes, lots of ideas we, we bring up, maybe even be very niche ideas where it's only going to be able to use a small part of the time. But if it works and it makes sense and it's efficient, why not do it that little bit of the time? Yeah. Well, that's exactly, Kevin. When I, I mean, you look at my operation right now. I've been for the last three months turning three thousand eight hundred and forty to three thousand eight hundred and eighty miles a week. Wow! But I've had to run, right? But today I'm far enough ahead that I'm limiting myself to running slow at sixty-five. 
There I'm not go. doing the 75 in Texas where I can. Right. Yeah, that the, all, business, all of this stuff is really a game of nuance. It's not so black and white. And, and that's where people get into that mindset that nothing works or nothing matters. It's almost like no matter what you bring up, well, that doesn't work in my operation. Well, that only works a little bit of the time. Right. But if you can take 10 strategies that all work a little bit of the time, then you get to numbers like you two put out all the time. That's right. Yep. And yeah, that's when people look at my numbers and, you know, and people that come to the CMC and the newbies, their first question is always, well, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Or, well, what kind of freight do you pull? It doesn't matter. I don't care. I, I haul nope. garbage. I used to make quite a bit of money hauling garbage off the East Coast. I, you can haul just about anything so and make money. Uh, well, here's the other one on all that that you hear all the time. But how does it do uphill? And I'm like, <laughs> what, who spends all their time going uphill? Most of the I, country's flat where it's not flat. Half of it's downhill. Yeah, so, I, <laughs> I know. I, I think Who this, cares? the statistic is from, you know, on they checked a couple different routes from the East Coast to the West Coast. But the statistic is uh, no matter which route you take, 90 percent plus of that time you're traveling across the country, you're either level or downhill. There's just not that much. Uphill. Exactly. And when I get called into the fleets to do driver training and stuff, but when they're having a problem, they're, they're always telling me about one hill. I know. And I'm like, right. do you all just stay on that hill? I'm going right. away from there. There's got to be a traffic jam on that hill. Yeah, I, it's, I know. I don't get it. But that's, that's kind of the thinking that you, we have to try to get through, that black and white thinking, because all of this stuff is really nuanced. Yeah, well, I I might agree with that. There's some stretch of the road where it's just a hill, and I'm kind of on that right now. I'm on I-22 in northern Alabama, left Birmingham, and I'm headed towards Mississippi. I don't think there's two miles of flat stretch of road here. It's, it's, you're either going up or down. <laughs> right, but the other difference on a stretch like that, most of the time, we're not talking about hills that even cause you to drop a gear. Yeah, it's just a climb, and I get that. And you got to go our, back down, right? Right. It's eventually. To, yeah, <laughs> it, it, and we teach people how to kind of use the roller coaster concept through those kind of terrains, where you use your momentum to help you up the other side. Yeah, yeah. This is or a stretch of road where you have it, it reads the road ahead and does it for you which is really nice. Yeah, yeah it is. Cause... Yeah, it is. All right, Matt, we're going to cut you loose. We're going to, I got to watch my time today. Uh, we do have time for more calls. I will let you know. Um, but at, uh, in about 30 minutes, we'll be switching over to Twitter. So jump in 855-950-3835. Let's go to Colorado. Brad, welcome to the program. 
Well, good morning, Kevin. Good morning. What's on your yeah, mind? Yeah, I. Uh, well, I'm looking at changing up my routes and uh, looking at a different piece of equipment. And uh, just kind of curious on about what years did they finally figure out their uh, emission stuff? I've noticed that pr truck prices are dropping quite a bit, especially in the 2010 to 2017 range. I guess all the flip floppers are getting out, are going broke pulling Amazon and not doing anything else. So it, a lot of trucks are coming on the market right now. They are. The prices are dropping like crazy. There was a, another report out yesterday that prices had dropped fairly significantly again. Um, you know, I, I say all the time, I, I try not to make a lot of predictions because I hate being wrong. Uh, I nailed this one. Uh, I was telling people a year ago, do not buy a truck. Absolutely don't even think about buying a truck. These prices will come down. I even had the timing pretty darn close too. So uh, I do get a win once in a while on that. Um, emissions for me. Well, that's why I'm in. I, 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 oh, I'll just give oh, you. That's a, why I'm in. I'm in. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say, that's why I'm in a 99 Mac. That's kind of slow because. It was a good price, and I wasn't going to go anything newer two years ago. Exactly. Great choice. Because, uh, of, the, because of the prices. Yeah, and, yeah. and here's the thing. I, there were people that really needed to buy during that time. Sometimes it just sucks you get in that cycle. Now, owner-operators sometimes have a lot of flexibility, but things can happen. I mean, you can total a truck. It could stolen. I mean, and you got to do something. So I was trying to tell people the strategy yeah. to use when you're in that position and you have to buy in such a lousy market like we were in, cheap, cheap, cheap. It, it, that's the only way to get, you know, not get screwed. In, in it, to the people that were going out and buying new trucks at those prices, just insanity. You know, two hundred and forty thousand <laughs> yeah. dollars for an eighteen-month-old truck with three hundred thousand miles on it. You got to be kidding me! And I, I was watching people buy those trucks. Um, so the, the 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 way to get through that was just buy the cheapest truck you could get away with, and then wait till the market adjusted, like it is now. So uh, you made a good choice. Um, for me, emissions. I would probably just overall in the market, I would stay away from anything earlier than 2014 unless I was going all the way back to, say, 2003 and older. I, I would skip it. it this kind of helps remember it because it's easy. It's a full decade from like 04 to 14. I just kind of ignore that group of trucks. Um, Henry, what do you feel yeah. like was the, the real year with the DD series that we've really kind of gotten past the emission issues. What what year was that, in your ten, opinion? 10, there was about not much. 12 and newer. Okay. You're pretty darn good. Yeah, and, and you're right. Okay. It probably was 12. I used the 4 to 14 because that 10, that really round 10 number. But, yeah, you could find a 12 or a 13 and, and do really well, too. And I was and okay. I'm thinking about it by brand. The, the, the two, and, and I remember reading an article on it, too, the two that had the least emissions problems were, you know, Volvo, which Joel's not with us today, and the Detroit, and, and it was both of them that had pretty heavy European connections that just did not have the problems, but they had to go through some of that stuff earlier 
across the pond. So that cut the learning curve down quite a bit. Okay. Uh, The operation that I'm going to be doing will be about 30% uh, idling, uh, unloading for a pneumatic bulk tank. And then the rest of the year is a uh, flatbed. Okay. So and so that's what, that's why I was a little concerned about the idling portion and the emission stuff. You, you know, yeah, when, they still don't like that, and, and it's not a good thing. But the where one of the things that, especially when you're looking at the truck, if you're looking at the engine reports that got brought up to me by somebody else, it was their idea. They don't just look at the miles. They don't just look at the hours but they look at how many actual gallons of fuel the truck burned, which is the real measure of how much work it did. And, and to think of that in your equation. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I had, uh, had run across a few trucks, some of the earlier ISXs, the CM 870 and 871. But did, yeah, I hear the long silence in the background there. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, again, it now, you know, I say 2014, we say 2012. If I'm looking to really optimize things and I have the budget, I, I, the newer for me now, the better. I mean, we're really back now to the point where, so if I go back to late 90s, early 2000s, I used to get so excited about specking a new truck because of all the new things I had either learned or things that had changed since the last time I specced a truck. And for me, when I had, you know, multiple trucks and I would I would space mine out, I, I was buying a truck every couple of years and I would get really excited about specking a new one. That all changed in 04. In 04, I, the last yeah, thing I wanted to do was go spec a new truck. So I stopped. It was either build gliders, buy older trucks. Um, it was, you know, now I'm back to that same thing. Every year, I'm more excited about helping people spec trucks because every year now things are getting better. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, so because now I've been, it, well, it, I said this a, a little a little worried. There's a lot of uh, guys that well, I'll I'll pick on comments, but the ISX when that IMAP sensor that eighty dollars sensor would plug up, there were probably a lot of BGR coolers and thirty five hundred dollar turbos that were sold because that eighty dollar yeah. sensor was plugged up and didn't throw a code. You, you know, Kevin, and and that's one of the things that really hurt the emissions trucks. There was two things going on. One, they were figuring out the emissions. But worse than that, a lot of the horror stories that I heard were because it was misdiagnosed to begin with. Correct. So that created a secondary problem. And and some of them, it it, it was terrible. That would have been fairly simple to fix if they knew where to go from the beginning. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah, you, you know, the interesting thing was, and I, I didn't realize this at first, I almost kind of felt sorry for a lot of the mechanics and technicians because they seemed so frustrated and they weren't really being effective and they weren't fixing much. But then I found out it really was their own fault. The OEMs, oh, I, yeah. once <laughs> I found like the troubleshooting trees that all the OEMs put out, they are really in-depth and accurate. Follow the troubleshooting uh, tree, and you might actually figure out what's wrong. 
you have to follow it, though. Right, and you have to follow every step, and it is very specific. You do this, then you check this, then you take it for a ride with the laptop plugged in, and you do this, and you check this number, and if this happens, you do this. If this happens, do this. It's it's in-depth, it's, uh, it's complicated, it is, but it works. I, I know of a over $30,000... Well, it went well in excess of $30,000 problem that was because somebody skipped one of those steps. Yes. Yeah, Ugh. exactly. And that, that just, like I said, in the beginning, I kind of felt sorry for them until I figured out they were creating most of their own problems. Yeah. Well, that was one of the reasons I had kind of thought about Cummins and ISX in the, in the early 2000s was the fact that I can buy a copy of Insight, get registered, and I can look at my truck and look at the different stuff, what, what the values are being registered. And I don't know if I can do that with a Volvo or a, a DD15. Yeah, you can. There's software available. Yeah. You can? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, for the... Well, the nice thing, yeah, the, the, the one that doesn't get used enough that blows my mind with the Detroit, and everybody has it now, I believe, is the virtual technician. That right. There's a lot of times it'll set set off a check engine light that's going to go away, but you get an email that tells you worry about it now or wait till the next service to worry about it. Or the best one is it's going to go away and <laughs> just continue yeah. on down the road and it disappears. Yep. Okay. Didn't know that about the DD DD15 series. But yeah, right now with the 99 Mac, I'm pulling light loads. I'm averaging last, well, the IFTA, I think first quarter IFTA was 7.3. This one should be about seven and a half. And then I hear you and Joel talking about nine and 10 miles per gallon. And I keep thinking to myself, there's a lot left on the table that I can go after. So. Yep. Absolutely. I, uh, You're done. Yeah. Just didn't want to, like you said, the $30,000 emissions bill. Didn't yeah. want to get and to me, it's that, more so. important than ever to develop a relationship with a technician, but also be careful with the one you pick, because some of them were some of the worst enemies to the emissions in a couple of ways. One, they talked to every truck, much like you were saying about uphill and everything. Every truck had a problem. Well, talking to a technician about what trucks are working, which they see them, but they only see the broken ones. I never take my truck to the shop to ask them why it's running too good. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. to, to, and, and, and a quote from a friend of mine was, asking a technician about a new truck is like asking a divorce attorney whether marriage counseling works or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I had that experience when I... The first time I really screwed up my business and got into all kinds of debt and had to try to figure out my way out. And I, you know, would consult with attorneys. And according to them, bankruptcy was my only option. But that's not true. It wasn't my only yeah, option. I, I figured another way out of it. But that for them, they were adamant. No, this is what bankruptcy laws are for. This is for you. We're going to help you. I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. I, I borrowed this money. I should pay it back. Yeah, that's right. And oh. so be careful hey, when, make... you, when you talk to technicians on the advice side of it. 
Not that they're not right, but they're right from their field of view. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I've run into two. There's one, the one, the old technician, or okay, I'll, maybe that's a general statement. There's the technician that hates all emissions and they're all crap. And then there's a technician that says, well, this is what we got to deal with. This is why this happens. If you watch this, you should be okay. That's right. So yep. you just got to find, just gotta find the, the second on, one. Hang on to that second one. That's <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> Ask him if he wants free tickets to the concert coming up. So Exactly. And oh, can I make a comment about Southwest Airlines? You guys have talked about it a couple times this week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'd read, I took aviation in college, and I read a book by one of the CEOs of Southwest. His name is Howard Putnam. And he was the CEO in the late 60s, early 70s. And I think the reason why they were so successful is that they didn't have eight layers of middle management. He had to do an engine. First thing they had to do is do an engine study. And he said he used to work for United, I think. And United would send this engine. Here's the plans, and it had to be rubber stamped by like nine different managers and departments. By the time it made it through all the paperwork, the engine technology had already changed, and they had to start all over again. So they would, it would take eight to ten years to figure out what engine that they wanted. Howard called a guy that he knew about engines. He goes, hey, I'm with Southwest. We need an engine study. How much did you charge me for it? And the guy goes, oh, I don't know, $100,000, and uh, and uh, I fly for free on your airline for two years. He goes, done. When can you have it done? He goes, oh, about four months. And that's what they did. He said, we had our orders in and had the engines installed yeah, within well, a year and a half. You know, here's another big one for Southwest, and I, I'm not sure why the industry didn't adjust to this and change their model. Look at a, an airline like all of the kind of legacy airlines, Delta, uh, United, those kinds that the ones that are left, um, they have everything from tiny little prop planes all the way up to 747s and a whole bunch of different models in between. How many different types of planes does Southwest fly? One. One. <laughs> one Usually one. Plane. Right. Yeah. One plane. That's it. Not seven. So now you go back to that. It took us eight years to figure out an engine. That's on one model. If if Delta's trying to do that, how do they optimize all those different planes they're trying to fly? They don't. Here's what I think should have happened in the airline industry. So Southwest says, look, we're, we're going to fly 737s. No first class. Every seat is basically the same other than the exit aisles. And the, that's that's the only plane we're going to fly. So we can't do long routes over to China because that's usually jumbo jets. We, we're not going to do, well, they actually do some pretty short hop stuff. They just do it with their 737s. But they're not doing the little puddle jumpers to get, you know, 18 people to the next airport like a lot of these other airlines are doing. It, it, that one difference, in my opinion, was a big part of why Southwest was so successful. They were able to really control cost by only flying one plane. We should have had little airlines that all they do is puddle jumpers. We should have had airlines that all they do are jumbo jets. I think that model would have made much more sense. Don't, yeah. don't they sort of well, kind of do that though? Because a lot of them puddle jumpers, they're under the other name, but it's 
owned by a different operation. The, down at the very bottom, you're right. A lot of the little short haul stuff is contracted out to, to companies that specialize in the little short haul. You're right. Um, but you still see Delta and United own a bunch of different plane sizes. And, and it's, it is a oh, yeah. maintenance and cost nightmare. And brands. You're oh, yeah. right. You're right. They don't even necessarily have the same engines or the same brand of airplane. Yeah. And and part of that is because it's not yep. available. The the companies that make 747s don't necessarily make good commercial jets in those smaller. It, they're whole different companies sometimes. So now you've got totally it it's like trying to run a fleet of trucks and having 30 Volvos and, you know, 27 Freightliners and six Internationals and three Peterbilts and 10 Kenworths. That is a really bad idea. Kevin, when you were talking about them airplanes, and and I know from Ohio you're familiar with snowmobiles, all the time when I was flying on one of them puddle jumpers that was a Bombardier, I'm like, I'm flying on a Skidoo. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's it. That's exactly what it was. Uh, Bombardier's big into aviation, and you're right; they make snowmobiles and and ATVs and watercraft, and yeah, yeah. On the aviation side of it, they're still, you know, all the routes and where they can go is still fairly regulated, kind of like trucking was before 1980. Yeah, you had to get I, a special permission to be doing out of out of country routes. So Southwest stayed away from that and just concentrated on these routes that we can do efficiently. And that they just became very, very efficient. And because they were so efficient, then they were able to pay their employees better and give them better benefits. And they got incredible employee, you know, loyal loyalty. And and their pilots have an incredible sense of humor on their announcements. Not their pilots, the flight attendants. Um, When I lived in Orlando, um, living in Orlando is a lousy place to live if you do a lot of business travel. Only for one reason, though. Actually, I love the airport in Orlando. Um, Where I lived, it was an easy trip into the airport with no traffic. The biggest downside is that you're in Disney, Everybody on the plane is going oh, to yeah. Disney. It's a bunch of amateur travelers with kids, and uh, it's just a mess. I mean, that's just part of flying in and out of Orlando. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a I, I did a regular, I did several regular flights. I used to fly to Nashville every month. I used to fly to Dallas every month. Um, and you get the same cruise. I would be booking the same flight every month. So you get the same cruise almost, you know, pretty regular. There was uh, one of the flight attendants, a woman on, I think it might have, if I remember, it was the Nashville flight. And her whole announcement, she would sing it. And she had created her own lyrics and song, and she was incredible. She had just an amazing voice, and she would sing her announcements. There was another one on another flight I used to do a lot, and she had the most hilarious comedy routine her entire spiel on the safety was just one long stand-up routine, and she was hilarious. Yeah, people like their jobs back then. I'm guessing we got too many Karens in the HR, or they got too many middle managers now. Well, you know, 
it wasn't so much back then because I would have the exact opposite experience when I would fly on the legacy carriers, United, Delta. The employees are pissed off. Um, everything's a problem. There's tension. It just was not enjoyable to fly with them. Yeah, you're thankful the pilot did leave the intercom on when he's talking to the co-pilot after the announcement. Exactly. It was just a very, very different experience. But, yeah, I haven't flown for a while. The, uh, uh, I, so can't comment, can't comment lately on Southwest. So. I can't either since, since you know, the airline industry kind of fell apart. And, and honestly, I, I'm shocked at what happened to Southwest. I, I honestly think that they've been targeted somehow. I, that I know it's a black helicopter theory, but I, I, I've just never seen a company go downhill so fast. A company that had been so good for so many decades. One of the last oh. flights that I took a couple flights ago left me a little bit uneasy. I was waiting for my bag outside the door there, and the pilot that was taking the plane was talking to the plane pilot that brought the plane in. And in front of us, he was discussing all the problems the plane had. And I'm like, yeah, I, I really did not need to know that. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Brad, I'm going to cut you loose. I just looked at the clock, and i got to get through some calls here. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Uh, I tuned in late today, so I missed the first half hour. But um, a, a good-sized company in New Zealand, but it would be considered a small company over here. They just retired last week. They just retired six of their trucks. They were Ford cab overs, V8. Some were naturally aspirated and some were turbocharged really 320 and 300 yeah 320 and 360 horsepower what they just retired them from 38 years of continuous service wow that's the the, the my question was going to be a 300 some horse v8 naturally aspirated what the hell kind of engine are we talking about here Oh, no, it's probably something Ford built. <laughs> it's Interesting. A yeah. Uh, they, they, they must have uh, paid for the extended warranty <laughs> when they got the Yeah, it must have. <laughs> yeah. Ah, interesting. Holy cow. But I, I remember those kind of trucks when I was a kid. They are like, wow, look at this. The big V8, 360 horsepower, turbocharged. Wow. Yeah, you know, the... It's interesting because if you grew up as a gearhead, you know, looking at cars, you wanted a V8, you know, a small block, a big block, whatever it might be, but you wanted a V8. The last thing in the world you wanted in your car was a straight six, right? Come on. Yeah. Nobody wanted a straight six. That's your grandfather's car. We wanted a V8. Even when when they switched to V6, it was like, V6, are you kidding me? Give me back my two cylinders. What the hell am I going to do with a V6? You can do a lot yep. with them, but we got into this mindset that V8s, that's the kind of, in, but not with a diesel. V configurations yep. don't do that well with diesels. A straight six really is a good setup. And Kevin, you had that a little bit wrong because your grandfather's car had a V8, but it only had a two barrel. 
was grandmom's <laughs> car that had the six cylinder. There you go. You're right. You're right. Uh, uh, the the one six cylinder car in New Zealand that was, or New Zealand and Australia, that was very popular. It was a Chrysler product. Was a Valiant Charger, two door, and that had a Hemi two sixty five. But you could get you could get them with a, a triple carburetors from the factory. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, the, but and they were they were a bulletproof engine. You just chuck a brick on the accelerator and go have fun, and and, and just hang on all day long, all night, all just bulletproof. There yeah. you go. But screaming. Oh, I'll so, bet. And then another another really popular truck that has lasted a long time in New Zealand is the Mack Cruise Liner and Ultraliner. And there's so a lot of those trucks are in the thirty plus years old. Wow. And they're still they're still trucking every day of the week down there. So. Well, you know, we were talking yeah, about airlines and sixteen liter V eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. airlines twenty five and thirty year old planes was average. I mean that that's not considered yeah. unusual in the airlines. In the Air Force, I remember reading this a decade or so ago, the B B two bombers. B fifty two bombers. Right. They were yes. Coming up on 75 years old, and the Air Force decided to keep them for 25 more years. I, I, I thought that's crazy, but they just keep rebuilding them. You know, I never figured out why in the trucking industry, especially with as good as cabs and everything else has become, why the truck industry hasn't gone where there's a factory where that the truck goes back and gets updated and refitted, much like they do the airline industry. Exactly. Because I, most it, of the truck does not need thrown away. No. No, it doesn't. And and it would be far more cost-effective to rebuild them. It, and it'd be green. You know, my guess is... You, you know what my guess is? Why we never even attempted to go down that road? Trucking manufacturers want to sell more trucks. No, neither one of those answers. No. Who, who, who do, and drivers don't think this, but who do we cater to in the industry when it comes to equipment? The driver. We have, we, we have a huge turnover and a driver shortage problem. However you believe that whole thing. That drove the idea that, no, we're, we're not going to rebuild old trucks because drivers still look at them as old trucks. Drivers want new trucks, and we're just going to go buy new trucks. Yeah, if well, it was done in a factory atmosphere. Oh, I, I'm not saying it wouldn't it be. As, come be a new truck. I, yeah, I'm not saying it wouldn't be as good as a new truck. I think it would be. It's driver perception. To them, no, that's a 2017 model. I want a 2024. Yeah. Well, last, last you know, Saturday. Go ahead, Henry. Yeah, when when they take one of those Boeing airplanes in and they retrofit it, it's essentially a new plane again. It, the airframe's it, old, it, but yeah, a, and, and I agree with you. It's just perception is all it is. Um, the pilot, oh yeah. the, the oh, pilots yeah. don't have a choice, and they don't have a huge turnover problem in pilots, so they can do that. And pilots are just fine with it. Drivers. Nope. You would see the fleet that tried this would start losing drivers to the fleet that just went and bought a bunch of new trucks. 
All right, let's grab one more call, like and then it. we're uh, we're going to roll on over to Twitter. Warren, welcome. Hey, Kevin, how are you today? Good to good to get a hold of you. Good. You're, um, in, uh, you're in my old no. neck of the woods there in Canton. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I can't. Were you from Stowe? Was that your old stomping grounds or Streetsboro? Streetsboro. I'm sorry, Streetsboro. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I've got a for a, uh, for a while. Oh, I, I, I covered the P and D route. The terminal was in Richfield, uh, and my route could mm-hmm. be anywhere from Canton over to Worcester, all along thirty down there. I would hit Kidron and. Um, uh, yeah. What's little town Smuckers is in? I used to go to Smuckers all the time. Um, uh, I can't. Ri- <sighs> Rittman? No, Smuckers wasn't in Rittman. Or- no, Rittman's up a little north right, of that. It's more um, closer up to Medina. I, it, um, it, it, ah, it's right there. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to all- think. It's south of Canton. It's it's near. I, I've got a. a dedicated account i just picked up in in apple creek ohio uh, south of canton and smucker smuckers is down there somewhere well I that's one plan i can't think of it yeah i know where you're talking about apple i love apple creek um this is one of my favorite little t- i almost forgot about that place um there the main smuckers plant is it's closer to worcester off of 30 just a little north of 30 actually i just can't remember the name of the town right now uh, that whole area also, you're familiar, is is um, very Amish. I mean, I spent most of my day, that is a huge Amish area all through there. Well, that's kind of the reason for my call. I, I, uh, I've got um, this, this next week, uh, I will celebrate my uh, fourth, an- fourth month anniversary as a uh, uh, as an owner operator or trucking company, however you want to describe me, the company is me, my 2004 Freightliner Century and my, uh, my trailer. So I ended up through a broker picking up some work for an Amish as we were just talking about an Amish owned pallet company in Apple Creek. And, um, I, it's funny how I ended up with this work. You know, I, I, your dedicated work, getting an actual direct shipper relationship, I know is kind of the holy grail of trucking. And I, uh, you know, I was kind of uh, him hawing about, I'm, I'm just trying to keep my head above water right now. And I, you know, I, I kept telling myself, well, I got to be making calls and I got to be trying to, you know, network and, and talk to people and, you know, get, I, I need a you know dedicated shipper. Well, one day I pull into the, pallet company I've done about six loads for through Uber Freight and uh, the forklift operator comes up to the window of the truck and says hey the owner's been looking for you and I, I'm like he has and uh, he said yeah he said we got a dedicated run with our trailers that goes up to uh, uh, about five or six different locations in Chicago or Michigan it's like a one to two trips per week, but we, we got a local guy that does it, but he runs day cabs and, uh, his drivers, you know, they don't, they don't want to stay the night in Chicago. It's, it's just a little bit too far for them and they haven't been reliable and he Canton. So, uh, they've been trying to get a hold of you. So I guess (laughs) number one, I, I should have put the phone number on the truck, but 
So I said, oh, I'd love to talk to him. And he said, well, he's here now. So I, I go in and uh, so I, I guess long story short, I end up with this, uh, uh, like I said, one, once to twice a week dedicated run to Chicago. It, I, I haul their trailer. Um, I get a great rate to go out there. It covers basically if I couldn't get a backload, it, it, it gives me over $2 a mile, even if I had to run back empty, but I'm running generally to Chicago or up to Michigan. I can, I can always find a backload back They're They're real reasonable about the trailer. I can get it back in a day or two. Okay. So, uh, this has been going well, but it's uh, like I said, I've only been in business four months and, and I'll just share briefly. I, my plan was I'd like to build a small fleet. I, I, but in terms of my planning, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to consider adding a second trucker driver for at least 18 months. I wanted to do this, that's, you know, about, about a year and a half and, that's and, a good number. and, you know, learn the, oh, okay. So, but yesterday now, I got approached now, by the, own. Let, let me clarify too. 18 months is a, a good number. It's you got plenty of time to learn. If, and it sounds like this might be happening, if there was some opportunity that popped up, um, I wouldn't just say, oh, yeah, you should go for that opportunity. But we could sit down and look at some numbers and look at what you're doing and and talk this through. And um, it's not out of the question to add a truck sooner than that. Okay. So yesterday uh, I'm in their office uh, uh with dealing with some invoicing and the owner comes out and they have a new customer in Cincinnati and they're asking me if I'd be interested in, uh, I think they like me because I, I didn't come from the trucking industry. I, I, I think I'm communicating better than the people they were working with before and probably handling it maybe a little more professionally. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they, um, they tell me they've got a five day a week run. So every day, basically you'd go from Apple Creek to Cincinnati and back. This is going to be a long-term customer. They deal with a, a national pallet company. They've been in business a long time. I'm not at all worried about, you know, them. I, I, I have found that dealing with the Amish, they are, very business savvy. I mean, they're, yeah, they they're tough negotiators, yeah. but, but, but in terms of getting paid in terms of, uh, you know, worrying about getting screwed over, I, I don't worry about that much with these folks. I, 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 I think that, you know, I can rely on the information they're giving me. So I do, I have an opportunity to pick up as a single owner operator operation. I mean, I, this would be the holy grail to, to have a basically day job. This would be an eight or nine hour day. I'm yes. literally taking a preloaded trailer to Cincinnati, taking an empty so, back and doing it again the next day. Let me cut to the chase here. But I'd have to. Oh, go ahead. I'd have to give up my. I'd have to give up my. Uh, my other run. No, you wouldn't. And well, that's the thing. It dawned on me that. I mean, I could do this with a day cab and, and hire somebody to do it. I wouldn't um, buy a day cab. Let me help you with that. 
Um, it's not worth it. All right. Day cabs are more expensive. They hold their price better. It's supply and demand. There aren't a lot of day cabs on the market, so they're always overpriced, in my opinion. They're less fuel efficient. Okay. The, I, I used to think, boy, I could build a really fuel efficient day cab. It's lighter. It, should, it, it, it doesn't work. The aerodynamics are a problem. It, it, the, we actually right. get better fuel economy with a full-blown sleeper with all the fairings. It smooths out the airflow. You just can't do that with a day cab. So there's no good okay. reason to buy a day cab. Uh, get a good sleeper. You, you can't even get your trailer gap right. Yeah, right. Trailer gap's a problem. So, yeah, I made the mistake of going to day cabs for a couple of years, and I switched back. It, it was not working for okay. me at all. Uh, and you know how I track that numbers. I, I knew that it, it just wasn't making sense to buy day cabs. But what you have right. is the perfect operation to keep drivers with no turnover. When you can get a driver right, home what, every night right. and weekends and probably off holidays, that was my operation at FedEx. I had zero turnover and I had a waiting list of drivers. So you mentioned earlier you want to build a small fleet. If you just said, look, I, I want to be an owner operator, but I, I love the idea of being home every year. Well, great. Go grab this run and just do it yourself. But you said, I want to build a small fleet. Here's your opportunity. These are the kind of right. runs you look for if you want to build a fleet because they're so much easier to deal with drivers. Well, and that's what I thought. My point was, yeah, I'd love to do that. But what I'd really like to do to, to build the company I'll keep a Chicago run, which I have to augment with spot market runs. Right, right. But there's potential growth on that, too. Correct. But I, that's what I was thinking was my opportunity to hire a, a driver and keep them and find somebody that's that's good and conscientious. Now, let me this is this. the run. I mean, th let me this ask is you the this. one. Because, okay. again, I mentioned earlier, this is nuanced. It, it, I can easily say, given this choice, I would grab that contract in a heartbeat and I'd be out buying a truck and hiring a driver. But there is another factor here. What, what is your risk tolerance? It's pretty high, Kevin, Good. but my problem is I started, uh, I, it's pretty high, but I had a I, I just got through a $12,000 repair and I'm good. I, I, I had enough money to cover everything and, and all that, but I'm not, my, my cash now, reserve is not where I want it to be. And I, and I'm, I, I, I have a high risk tolerance, but I'm pretty nervous about doing this without being, uh, yeah. And I'm I, glad I just, you are. So let me explain what this is. And, and let me also explain this just three months ago, if you would have called me, I said, I would have said, Sorry, either take this as your own run or just pass it right now. It wasn't the time. Okay. Trucks were too expensive. We right. couldn't really see where the bottom was. I kind of feel like I, I can see the bottom now. Trucks are coming way down. So it, it, it's not a slam dunk, but if you are willing to take some risk, there's more risk here. Um, this could be an awesome opportunity. And we can minimize risk by really crunching the numbers, really shopping hard for that, that bargain of a truck. Um, but this is a risky move this early in your business. This is one of those that I say, this all comes down to risk tolerance. You know, the, the no balls, no blue chips sometimes. You know, that's how it goes. The more risk we're willing to take, the bigger the reward we could right. potentially get. But 
the opposite of that is the bigger crash we could we could sustain as well. So so really, when I get somebody that calls me and and I can just hear in their voice, they're nervous and scared about everything. My answer would be, don't even think about doing this. I'm not hearing that from you. You, you, you've, you've, it sounds to me like you've got some experience other than trucking that would help in this, that you're thinking it through, that you understand it's a risk and, and you're kind of looking from, for some assurance. And, and I'll give it to you. If you've got some risk tolerance, this could be a great opportunity. And, and we could set this up so even if it fails, it won't put you out of business. Right. You still are doing your thing and you have revenue that will keep the business going. All we have to do is just be careful that you don't let if this starts to go south, you've got to be on top of it. And we can't let it get too far into the weeds where it could take down you as well. And that's not hard. We could plan this and set some guidelines and say, you know, if this happens, we just have to dump the truck before it takes us down completely. Right. So there is risk here, but if you do it right, we could really minimize a lot of the risk. Okay. And speaking of risk, I am perfectly happy in my 2004 uh, Freightliner with my Detroit Diesel 60 series. That's Perfect. that I. My operating cost is a dollar fifty-one a mile. All in, I pay myself. I pay fuel. Excellent. I pay all the fixed costs. I'm good. But on but on this run, if I would consider buying another truck to do to give them this this new great work here, and I keep my route, am I going to be able to f- repeat my model and buy one of these old trucks I like I drive, or I'm going to have to? I I would. That's what I want to do. Yes, I would be buying okay. a Can twenty-five. I find a that's here's the thing. Yes, you can find a driver to drive it. You have to work a little harder. And when I used to do this and I ran ads, if if any time during the phone call or the interview, the driver talked about newer trucks or even asked about the trucks, they got eliminated. <laughs> really? Right. You're, you're, done. Next. Right. Yeah. If, if if the truck is any concern at all, and I would make it clear to people, I run really safe, clean, dependable equipment. That's what I would say. Wouldn't talk right. about years, models, engines, right. horsepower, nothing. I run clean, dependable, right. safe equipment. If you need to know anything other than that, move on and go find another job. Right. Because I'm really... I, I just, this has worked well for me. I, I'm really happy with this Detroit diesel. And I just, there's nothing, I, I, I'd prefer to buy something with the same thing in it or a Cummins hey, N14, something like that. Warren, I, let's, let's do this. Take some time. Think about this. I think I know what you're going to do. And I think you're right. I think you are a good candidate for this. Um, start looking for some trucks and just plan on calling me once a week and we'll go through this. Okay, great. Appreciate it. Thank you for what you do. Uh, help us out a lot out here. You're welcome. I'll look forward to it. I love stuff like that. All right, Henry, you ready to switch over to Twitter? Yes. Let's do it. I'll I'm actually do it. late. So uh, we'll Give prob- me a moment. Yeah, we'll probably yeah. be starting about uh, I was five minutes late or so, but we'll be all right. 
All right. See you in a little bit. Uh, we'll see, see you over see on you Twitter. There. If you're yep. listening on the app, you can just keep listening like you are. If you want to take me up on my offer, you got to be on Twitter itself. First person that jumps in and says, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I'm willing to help. Um, we'll see you in a little bit. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.